Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back my two good friends, Rob Levy and Phil Block. Hey, guys. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, you were in a podcast before. You're, you're back. Uh, so what's new and exciting in the world of uh, Rob and Phil What's happening in the retail space? Any great and exciting deals? What's 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 going on? And we're recording this in uh, kind of mid-April, uh, twenty twenty-three. Yeah, listen, things have been great for us. We're really excited. Our existing portfolio has been performing tremendously. COVID kind of helped prove out our thesis uh, in the space. There, the supply and demand imbalance in in retail has been really, really great, and. Um, we are working on a portfolio that we're uh, extremely excited about that we put under contract um, over the course uh, of the last six months or so, and we're closing in about a month. That's awesome to hear. Uh, I would love to dive into that that specific portfolio discussion. We're actually working with you on this portfolio. We think it's a great deal and appreciate you guys coming on a podcast. But we want to talk a little bit about uh, supply-demand this balance in the shopping plaza space, open door retail. Why is this such a great opportunity? Most people, it's quite almost like not a very sexy topic. I don't know how else to put it. Most people are, uh, oh, shopping, retail? What are you talking about? That thing is dying. Amazon is eating everybody's lunch. Is that the case? Is Amazon and uh, e-commerce destroying shopping plazas completely? Well, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're real estate geeks, Mike. So you know that we find supply and demand very sexy actually um so we have uh, it but it's really it, it is one of the keys to the story in retail right? i mean really if you look at st- the, the statistics there almost no retail has been built since the global financial crisis so since like 2008 we have about 15 years of almost no supply increase and in fact you're probably seeing it's hard to see in, in all the statistics but there's been a, a some of the you know kind of older uh, you know, shopping centers in poor locations, et cetera, are disappearing. They're being repurposed at, as other assets, other types of assets. So you're actually seeing a decline in overall retail supply. And at the same time, if you're buying in the right locations, you're seeing increases in demand, right? So increases in population, increases in income levels. Um, and at the same time, you're seeing retailers who are who are flourishing, who are doing well, and they need to expand, right? They're public companies or even private companies, and they have growth plans. And so you're seeing in certain locations, in many locations, significant increases in demand, no increases, and in fact, de- decreases in supply. And that's where what we find so interesting about retail, because we think that is highly misunderstood. The retail market is a very misunderstood market. Everybody, as you said, feels that uh, that you know the Amazon effect, e-commerce is eating the lunch of bricks and mortar, and actually, it's just it's just not true. Eighty-five percent of all retail today is done through brick brick and mortar locations, and in fact, what if you look at the numbers, what what the reality is that there is not a single um, pure e-commerce company that we have been able to find that is profitable. Even Amazon, 
makes their money through their web services and other divisions. If you look at purely their e-commerce business, they don't make money. It's too, it's too expensive to deliver, too expensive with returns and all of that. And so what you're finding is that the better e-commerce companies are actually opening up brick and mortar stores, right? So the Warby Parkers of the world, et cetera. Um, and the better brick and mortar companies are, are, are kind of moving into online offerings. And so it's, it, there's a merge of that. But the brick and mortar is critical to the, uh, the calculus of being profitable in retail. So we believe that the Amazon effect is overstated. We're not naive about it. It certainly has having an impact, but it's overstated. And at the same time, we're seeing huge demand for good retail. Yeah, that's great. It's almost a counterintuitive, but you, you watch Amazon buying like Whole Foods and other ones where they want a physical footprint. They, they want to have a location. Uh, as those locations are more profitable than the e-commerce. So that, that makes uh, great sense. And that, as you mentioned, many companies trying to integrate uh, online combined with uh, mobile app combined with the uh, uh, e-commerce, e-commerce, sorry, with the physical presence. So brick and mortar, mobile app, and uh, e-commerce. So all that makes sense as a combination, as a complete solution. So that's why the demand for brick and mortar is there. Now, we're, we are doing this discussion in, in this at April 20, uh, uh, 23, and we are potentially going to recession. So uh, does this mean, is this a, a concern? Typically, retail can suffer during a recession, but it's usually high-end retail. And, and um, let's switch the conversation to the new deal that you, are, um, you have under contract to, to close uh, soon. Uh, are you focusing on more of uh, retailers that do well during a recession? Is, is this the focus in this environment? Because the, the high-end retail is just a big concern. If the severe recession hits, that's not an area that I'd like to be in. But I would like to be in an area where they, they have Dollar General or, or any of these kind of affordable uh, retailers, right? Yeah, no, it's a great question and a great point. And certainly, if you look at our existing portfolio, as well as the, as, um, as the portfolio you're mentioning that we're acquiring, everything that we do, we're focused on kind of the middle market, middle uh, shopper, right? The discount-oriented retailers have performed great in all economic cycles. And what's really, really interesting, and it's unique to retail, is we have sales and we have credit, right? We can figure out what the existing credit is of your of the tenants that we're buying so if you're buying for instance like dicks is a large uh dick sporting goods is a, is a large tenant in this portfolio well dicks is among the best credits within the entire shopping center space they have a great balance sheet they continue to open new stores they have great ebitda margins and they're growing would they be impacted uh, by a potential recession? I'm sure, like everybody, they would be. But the risk that they're going to leave or they're going to go bankrupt is non-existent, right? And their sales we see at these stores, and they're they're just doing great. So it's a really it's an important thing to think about and to focus, as you said, being in kind of high end, street front type retail with you know, tenants that demand huge TI payments that, you know, that can be a precarious position in a downturn. That's not the type of retail we buy. Right. And I'll, I'll, Mike, I'll, I'll add one or, one or two other things. You know, what we focus on is buying the best retail location in every sub or in any sub market that we're looking at. So, you know, um, 
certainly in a downturn, some retail is going to get hit. But if we're in the if the, we're in if we own the best center or you know one of the two best centers in a submarket, that center will perform well. There'll be there's there's demand for that space. And for like for this portfolio, we're buying great pieces of real estate. They have all the 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 the, um, the variables that we look at in in good retail. They have great access, ingress and egress, visibility. They have the right size boxes. All those things that we're looking for. That's going to make for and, and the right demographics also, and also in the discount side, as, as Phil was mentioning, we focus on the discount space, and what we like about it, in addition to what he was saying, is that the the, the economics makes sense, right? Our our tenants don't pay, you know, forty or fifty or sixty dollars per square foot in rent; they pay ten or twenty dollars per square foot in rent, and so even in a downturn, they they're profitable. They can they can pay their rent. Uh, they have good balance sheets, as Phil was mentioning. So it's a very different calculus when you're charging your tenant ten or fifteen dollars or twenty dollars a foot in rent than if they're paying fifty or sixty dollars a foot in rent and there's a downturn. Yeah, that makes sense. In the inflationary environment, the last couple of years, I guess the prices have gone up and the rents, uh, at least the long-term rents, haven't haven't escalated the rent clauses as, as fast. So I guess a lot of these. Tenants may wind up getting kind of a great revenue to rent ratio, uh, very affordable. So right. let's switch and talk specifically about the upcoming two deals: one in Fairfax, Virginia, and the other one in Orlando, Florida. So both. Let's just let's go back. Let, let's start. How do you get a great deal? And and this is a great deal. It looks to me like a great deal. We looked at it. it looks like a great deal. So how, how are you able to secure? Uh, such great pricing, uh, basically, uh, it's a distressed seller, but let's talk about this. But let's understand how distressed seller happens and how do you find these these great deals and how do you know how much to bid? Maybe you could have bid even less than what you bid. Well, listen, we're one of the more acquisitive uh, guys in the retail space in the country. So everybody knows us and we think we see basically every deal that uh, that's going to happen. There are there are a few. It's different than like multifamily, which guys are used to, where there are a lot of off market, like fully off market transactions. That's not really true in retail. And the reason is that it's largely an institutionally owned space and institutions have to sell through brokers. So this particular portfolio is pretty interesting. It's owned by Seritage. Seritage, as some of your listeners may know, was created, it's a public REIT that was created to own the old Sears boxes, the Sears and Kmart locations. And they, you know, ultimately bankrupted Sears and they thought they were going to make this, their money in the real estate. But it was fundamentally flawed in a number of ways. among them, they didn't have the right talent, uh, and the cost to retenant these boxes can be significant. So they set up this public REIT. They started to work on it. It was at the exact wrong time. The market for retail over the last several years, as we know, has been challenged. And there are different spots. You know, remember, Sears, there are boxes all over the place, and they're largely attached to malls. So there were a lot of kind of see malls in the middle of the country with a Sears box, you know, what's the value of that real estate? That's pretty hard to, to retenant and get your head around. So they have publicly decided and declared that they are liquidating the company. It's actually Warren Buffett is the lender. It's um, Berkshire Hathaway has the note uh, to Seritage. And so effectively, it's a public company liquidating for his benefit, for their benefit. 
So CBRE took out, um, the broker took out in, in a few different batches, a huge portfolio, call it 100 assets. And uh, the there's a bucket of about 100 that they've touched. And then there are other buckets of uh, some of the boxes that they've done nothing. So fully vacant. So we took a look. Initially, we said, God, this is just too much. Isn't somebody going to come and buy the whole thing? And we don't want to waste our time. And we got a lot of encouragement from our friends at CBRE that said there's there's very little demand here. It's too complicated. There are too many of them. You're one of the few groups that would really dig in. So we did. And we kind of quickly limited it and said, you know, there's a bucket of assets that are fully leased. That's not really our game. That's not really interesting. There's nothing to do. There's a bucket of just bad pieces of real estate. That's not something that we would ever invest in. And we could get down to kind of five or six assets that were just really good pieces of real estate, great pieces of dirt that there's still upside left to do because the sellers ran out of money, they ran out of people, they ran out of time and they're just and they stopped trying to lease it a few years ago and they're just just selling. And so we bid on those six assets and um, and the process went like this. We said, well, you know, here's our kind of bid and you asked how we priced it. We priced it very wide so we could hit returns that were kind of outside of we, what we thought the appropriate kind of risk adjusted level was. And they said, normally there's a back and forth. They actually said, we can't sell you the all six because there's somebody who's buying one of them, but these five are yours. And that's basically how. So non-competitive bidding. You gave them your kind of uh, sort of low ball price, a price you were very comfortable to, to give in, and they just didn't even counter. They took it because they, they don't seem to have. Why there's no competition? I guess the space is so limited. Uh, you're right. There are a lot of players in multifamily space, and the retail space is a very institutional space. You have very few mom-and-pop operators. Yeah, they. I mean, they... Um... The issue is that it's just it's there it was just they threw too many at the market at once, right? And and only a very few groups like us were really willing to dig in. And you know, as, as Phil said, it was over a hundred assets, and they don't even they didn't even really know what they were selling, to be honest. Right? There was a lot of misinformation in the in the OMS that were sent out to the prospective buyers. So you really had to dig in. You really had to roll up your sleeves and do your diligence. And it was a lot of documents. It's complicated, and it just—it's just not for everybody. And most people just kind of threw up their hands and walked away. And and we were able to, you know, bid on a bunch of you know a few really good assets that we really liked that nobody else was willing to roll up their sleeves on. Yeah, that's very cool. It's almost great to hear a non-competitive uh, bidding situation. And, and and I guess maybe it's the market, obviously, uh, plus the asset class. It's a unique asset class. And um, uh, but let's now talk about specific location of these properties. And uh, so one is in Orlando, really busy corridor, sort of super great location. It's also uh, next to another asset that you guys own for a long time. And we've been an investor called LFA in, in Orlando. So um, just talk a little bit about that. And then Fairfax, uh, it's close to DC, great location and close to very affluent area. <laughs> So these are considered to be what a a class malls in uh, just let's just talk a little bit about the deal. Why do you think it's just such a great deal besides the price? Yeah, I mean, listen, they're, they're, both of these assets are kind of exactly what we look for. So we can go through through both, but Orlando 
is the, this asset is located in one of the best retail corridors in all of Orlando. Uh, it's the Fashion Square Mall. It's just east of downtown. As you mentioned, we own an asset on the same road on Colonial Drive, just you know, five or ten minutes from the site. So it is next to a mall called Fashion Square. Your that mall is dying, um, which is interesting to us because the our asset is performing great. It's really almost a single tenant at this point. It's a floor and decor that's the number one traffic store in the state, number two in the country. And we got kind of anecdotally their sales number, which is off the charts. Uh, uh, for last year and you know they moved from across the street here and expanded so it's just it's a great story around that tenant and for those of you who don't know Florent decor is the best credit within that space it's better credit than home depot which everybody knows and certainly knows is a great credit um so it's just it's a great tenant that's performing really well in just the best pocket of orlando you have all the kind of highest income homes just north of this site and they have to drive literally right down uh, next to our site and then turn on to Colonial, which is one of the main drives from downtown Orlando East. So you're sitting at a at a corner with, um, you know, I don't have the number in front of me, 100,000 cars, you know, roughly a day driving by and you have a dead mall next to you and you're still performing that well and the mall is dead because it's being redeveloped or the plans are to redevelop it. There's kind of a ground owner and, and an owner of, of the improvements. And they were fighting for a little while because the real estate is so valuable. So if you think over time, as that mall turns into a higher dense use, like multifamily, which is the, the plans, our site only improves. Now our business plan is to execute before that, but um, you're not being dragged down by a bad mall. You're performing great with this kind of opportunity for upside. And one of the things, Mike, as you know, which, which we do in most of our assets, we have out parcels that we try to create and sell and reduce our basis and increase our cash flow and yield. And this is a great example of that. So we have a great performing asset in the back, a, a large tenant with great credit that's performing really well, and we're paying a cap rate that's what we think wider than market just for that. And then we have a Del Taco uh, out parcel that we'll be able to spin off and sell. And we have a two tenant out parcel with an Aspen Dental kind of right on the main road that we'll be able to kind of finish and sell. And then we have uh, two other paths that we can create multi-tenant out parcels and sell. And all of that value we're effectively getting for free. Um, because we're really the, the in-place income that we're buying this off of is just an Aspen Dental and the Florida Decor. And as I said, I think we're buying it for a cap rate on just those two tenants that's wider than a market for either one of them standalone. It's a pretty incredible value. Yeah, I appreciate that clarification. So this whole old parcel selling business, you, you've been doing this for years. And who are the buyers? I'm just curious because the, the 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 shopping plaza is a bigger transaction. Institutional players can come in and buy. Who, who buys these out parcels? Uh, and I mean, they obviously pay a lower cap rate, uh, uh, because it's a standalone, you know, piece of land, kind of in the best location, right next to the road. Uh, but who, who typically buys it? Just curious. I mean, it's usually a high net worth buyer, typically. Um, if any, if if you're if you're uh, listeners are aware of the 1031 exchange, 
right? So it's it's typically high net worth, ultra high net worth buyers who have sold a property and are now transferring those dollars or, or moving those dollars into a new asset. And what they're looking for is, you know, income and credit, uh, you know, uh, credit of the tenant and, uh, and then tax benefits of owning real estate. So they're happy to buy you know, a floor and decor in a great location um, where they feel you know, comfortable that floor and decor is going to be there for many, many years. And they own that piece of real estate and they're maybe clipping coupons at you know, 5 or 6% and they're getting you know, the depreciation so they have the tax benefits. And they hold that and it's generational, right? They're going to pass that down to the next generation. They're going to hold it for 20, 30 years. And in 20 or 30 years, that, that piece of real estate in Orlando is going to be worth significantly more than it is today, right? So it's just a long-term real estate play, primarily driven by you know, ultra high net worth investors who have sold an asset and are buying something else. That's not 100% of the market, but that's, that is the part of the market that tends to drive the pricing, the value, because they're, they will be the most aggressive buyers. So, you know, they're buying... You know, McDonald's, the KFCs, the Taco Bells, and you know all, all of that is, you know, tends to be driven by that segment of the market. Just curious, what an old parcel like this would 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 sell for? Well, what, give me an example of price. I guess it, it it works really well for high net worth single you know buyer transaction. You mean the floor and decor? Yeah. What what, what would that old parcel sell for? Right right there next to floor and decor. Oh, the Alpar. So uh, you talking parcel. about the Aspen, the Aspen Dental? Uh, oh, the Aspen parcel. Dental, right? Correct. The Alpar parcel with yes. the with the property on it. Yeah. So I mean, Aspen Dentals. I mean, obviously, it depends on where interest rates are, et cetera. But um, we have, but we have, you know, good comps on it. I mean, the Aspen Dental would probably sell today in the what six percent range, I think, Phil, something like that, and probably historically with lower interest rates, maybe in the, you know, in the lower fives. That's right. That's right. And the Del Taco. Yeah, even tighter than that, right? Historically in the fours and maybe five, five and a half today. Right. And so if you just took those those cap rates that we just talked about and you just capped the income of those, you know, of the floor and decor, which those typically traded in the, in the kind of low to mid 5% range. And today, you know, you just cap it at like a six or so, six, six and a half, just to be conservative. And you did the same thing. You did that to floor and decor, you did that to the Del Taco and you do that to the, uh, to the Aspen Dental, and you just capped the current income, you would see, you'd calculate that we are buying this at a significant discount just to that cap the value, not take into consideration any value of the the two out parcels that we can develop and the and the square footage that we can lease next to floor and decor, which was what Phil was saying before. It's just, it's a tremendous buying opportunity because it's just mispriced. So, so just a very quick question, and we'll switch to kind of a cash flow on these deals. So what is an absolute dollar amount for this old, old parcel? So Espen Dental, what, what do you think it, it, it'll trade at as absolute dollars? Not as a cap rate, just, just curious. Is it you know million and a half, two million? What, what does it trade at? I'm just curious. Just an approximate number. I'm just curious what these old parcels trade at. So it's basically one buyer. It's a high net worth buying uh, you know, a million and a half dollar out parcel, maybe two. Yeah, million. I mean that that is probably close to five million between the the two tenants. So it's that's two tenants. So it's Aspen Dental, which is you know one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars of income, and it depends what the income on the space next to it is. But you know, it'd be a little bit less. So that's call it at a six cap, somewhere around five million dollars. 
Gotcha. So it's two old parcels for $5 million, right? It's two tenant single out parcels. Two, two tenant single out parcel. Uh, so I guess it's a 1031 buyer who basically could put down, I don't know, a million, million and a half, get get 70% mortgage or something like that. And just uh, exactly a long time. Yeah. Makes sense. So, um, and in today's in high interest rate environment, uh, these type of deals, uh, and this is before value add, what's the starting cash flow? Just curious, kind of a high level uh, type of cash flow, cash from cash in, 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 the, in the year one. I mean, obviously these estimated numbers, but the beauty about what you do is you have a lot of predictable rents. So you have rent, uh, you have leases, you, you know, in place rents, what they look like. And uh, the, the cash flow is actually better than multifamily storage and many other asset classes uh, just to start with, right? Before the value. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, right? We're buying this at about a seven cap. I'm in Orlando. And as I said, it's only, you know, we have two tenants and all of that kind of additional value that we're creating. So you're starting at a cash flow of about a seven out of the gate because we have, uh, a good loan. It's not, um, we're always, as you know, balance sheet borrowers. So it's not securitized with kind of a ton of escrows and stuff. So we have a really good relationship loan. It's about a seven cash on cash. And that is with all of the funding we need to execute all this business plan. So it's pretty interesting, right? A seven cash on cash. And that obviously doesn't take into effect the, the benefits of the cost seg study that we'll do. And so the tax at the after tax benefit, everybody, you know, has an individual tax situation, but we take a pretty significant tax loss in the first year, typically. Yeah, it makes sense. Obviously tax efficiency uh, helps in, in the, uh, the cost seg with bonus depreciation is still at 80%. It's still, still a pretty good deal. Um, so let's just switch talk a little bit about Fairfax. So Fairfax is next to uh, DC. It's in kind of, I guess, in one of the top uh, income counties in the whole United States. And uh, what's the play there? Let's just cover a little bit about the Fairfax. So uh, that property has around what seventy five percent occupancy, twenty five percent vacancy. The substantial upside. And why such big vacancy? I'm just curious why uh, so much opportunity to lease up. Sure. I mean, so, yeah, as you said, th this is, you know, the you know, one of the high growth markets around Washington. If you, you just p basically go directly west outside of D.C., out I-66, you hit Fairfax, Virginia. The average household income is north of $200,000. Um, home prices are, are, are very high here. And there's a lot of density in addition to, into, addition to high income. So this is a real strong submarket. Um, and this is, we think, one of the best pieces of retail in that submarket. It sits right along the highway. Um, it has great access, great visibility. Uh, right across the street, they are developing an 800-car park and ride for you know, commuting into Washington, which, which our understanding is through published information that this is the first step of them developing uh, a train station here to, you know, for commuting into Washington. So this is this is a key location in in many respects. Um, you know, Seritage actually have to give them some credit. They did they did a decent job here. They bought a vacant Sears box that's attached to a, a solid mall that's owned by Simon Property Group. Um, and they got it to 75% lease, right? They they put in 
a, uh, a Dick's Sporting Goods. They put in a Golf Galaxy, which is a concept that is owned by Dick's. And then they put in a Dave and Buster's. And then, as Phil mentioned before, what happened is they just ran out of time and money and energy and focus. And so they have not, you know, they've been now in liquidation mode and they just kind of stopped at 75%. That's the only reason why there's vacancy here. And what's interesting is when you go and you, you meet with all the local um, uh, local brokers who we know and, and we've spent a bunch of time with, but you, what you realize is they just haven't been, they haven't been marketing this property for probably somewhere between 12 and 18 months. And even with that, there has been incoming interest from retailers. There's a bunch of retailers who are looking for space in this market. There's not a lot of vacancy. Um, and there's, and the, the vacancy that does exist is not nearly as strong from a, from a retail perspective as this property. So there's been, there's, they, they haven't, uh, they got a, unsolicited offer from a grocery store to take a portion of this space. Uh, we know that certain retailers like, um, uh, we know that you know uh, Tesla is looking for space. We know that there's healthcare companies looking for space, other entertainment uses. Um, so there's a lot of incoming and a lot of uh, capacity here for additional opportunity. There is 56,000 square feet, I'm sorry, 58,000 square feet of, of space remaining that they have not leased. And we took a very conservative approach in our underwriting. We're assuming we, we only lease 40,000 square feet. There's a good chance, hopefully, we can do better than that, but we just wanted to be conservative. And we think there's plenty of demand, plenty of opportunity. We just got to get out there and start you know, actively marketing it. Um, and, um, and there'll be plenty of demand for this space. Yeah, that's very cool. And um, we've, we've talked about this in other uh, videos, recording, and this is a podcast episode. But this is a great example uh, how you can come in, get a great asset with 25% upside. There's a lot of upside. It's kind of funny because the, the costs are, are, are fixed. And if you lease out the space, you can you, your income can suddenly um, grow uh, to very strong cash from cash. And, and in the past, with the strategy of all parcel sales, this one has also all parcels, right? In, in the Fairfax. It does. It has an out parcel. Um, which, you know, it helps, it moves the needle some, it's not a huge piece of the economics, but it does have an out parcel opportunity right up against the road so that they will, will certainly execute on that. But it was, what's really interesting about this is, is kind of cap rates and yield. If, you know, Phil and I and LBX, we, we have been looking in the Washington DC market for opportunities for, for years, since we started investing seven years ago. And it's very hard to get uh, yield on assets in in the DC market just it's such a tight market. Everybody wants to be there for all the you know all the reasons that we all know. Um, and we've never been able to in our seven years investing in this space find um, you know a deal in DC that really provided us with the yield that we thought was commensurate with the risk. Here, it's it's kind of astonishing. We're we're buying this asset at, at a seven point eight percent cap rate going in on existing income. And we're going to stabilize, I think it's well north of a nine, I'm trying to remember, um, well north of a 9%, you know, uh, cap rate. Um, we assume that we sell this at a seven, um, but we've never seen assets trade north of a seven in this market, especially assets of this quality, retail assets of this quality. So we just think that this, again, is just completely mispriced. For us to be able to buy this, this, this quality real estate, with this opportunity for you know filling the fifty eight thousand square feet plus the out parcel at a seven eight going in cap rate, we think is is pretty extraordinary. 
Yeah, that that that, that does sound um, really as a, a very attractive opportunity. So, um, appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. Uh, we, we have to keep it uh, short and sweet. <laughs> we think we got to the point. You guys did a great job uh, explaining and demonstrating uh, kind of these two great assets. And uh, let folks, this episode will come out very, very quickly and let folks kind of learn about this. Hopefully, they'll still have an opportunity to participate. Um, so for those who listen, again, uh, LBX, your website, lbxinvestments.com. You can also reach out to uh, Tempo. Uh, we, we have, uh, we're working with Rob and Phil uh, to get this, this deal funded. So that's the, uh, that's the opportunity. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what else is, is going to come come to the table in the upcoming months. Obviously, we're looking into uh, economy slowing down. Fed has pushed the rates up, but uh, that's the time to buy, right? When the rates are high, that's the other great thing on these two deals. You're getting five year fixed term uh, mortgage with no prepayment penalty. Talk a little bit about that. Just just the final thoughts because it's a great asset. If the rates cycle back down, you can always refi, right, at a lower rate. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's one of the great things, and one of the things that we're so attracted to retail about that that we still have positive leverage, right? And what other asset class can interest rates rise this much, and we're still buying with positive leverage day one? As you said, if rates drop uh, because of the type of financing we got, we could refinance tomorrow. So if we enter real recessionary pressures and the Fed drops rates, as a lot of people anticipate. We'll refinance and we'll, you know, significantly enhance our our cash on cash yields. But in the meantime, we're getting, you know, a great cash return and have the money we need to execute on our upside. So we feel like we're in kind of a great spot. You know, we always we have a lot of people will tell us, you know, we're on the sideline, we're waiting, we think there can be opportunities, so we want to make sure we're liquid. Well, this is the opportunity. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for, an opportunity like this. Yeah, and I appreciate this positive leverage because multifamily and storage, they trade at a negative leverage and it, it, it's it's a challenge. Until rates cycle back down, it's difficult to find good cash flow in those deals because the more leverage you take, the, the worse cash on cash they, they, they do because of a negative leverage. And uh, Or you get involved with massive distressed asset and you now uh, have to execute incredibly well. But this is sort of uh, distressed seller, but not distressed assets. With substantial upside so uh, love it guys appreciate you again phil and uh rob from lbx investments and uh thank you all very much thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you for listening thanks mike thanks mike thank you for listening to the big mike fun podcast to receive your copy of mike's how to choose a smart real estate fund book head to bigmikefund.com or visit amazon and type mike's slot name Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.